0: Very good. If you join me in your Bibles this evening to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Uh, we'll continue our study in the book of 1 Timothy. On Wednesday night, I like to kind of teach. And uh, I think we need to know the Word of God, don't you? And I think that's why you came is because of the Word of God. I don't have any jokes tonight that would humor you. Just the inerrant, infallible, eternal Word of God. In First Timothy chapter 1, and we'll just review just a little bit tonight. I went to the, uh, I was sitting at, at the house the other day and... The doorbell ring, rang, and our doorbell don't ring very much because it's a long way down our driveway. And uh, most of the folk come in the side door. I didn't even know the front door worked until the doorbell rang the other day. And uh, my wife went to the door, and I heard a few words. And the door closed, and my wife came back in, and I said, Honey, who was that? She said that was some Mormons. I said, Why didn't you invite him in for refreshments? She said, Because I knew Second John. <coughs> Do you know Second John? Tonight, if you look in your Bible, First Timothy one and verse one, we find the author. Of the book, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Paul gives his credentials, his calling, his apostleship, and before he ever writes anything at all, he tells them of whom he gets the authority to do so then he addresses the book unto Timothy my own son in the faith Paul was so proud of Timothy Timothy more than likely was led to Christ by the apostle Paul and Paul adopted him into his spiritual family insomuch that he called him his son in the ministry you know The love of a child far exceeds most loves in this world. Folks tell me every once in a while, I love my dog. I love my wife. Do you love your dog the same as you love your wife? How long has it been since you kissed your dog? Just put a lip lock on that sucker if you love it. Or I love baloney. You love baloney the same way you love your wife? A kinship kind of love is the greatest love of all. Paul said, I love Timothy so very much. And I'm so very proud of Timothy. Timothy has been left in Ephesus there to pastor that church that Paul started. Now, Paul is writing to young Timothy. And before he writes to him, he assures him of the authority from whence he is writing and assures the young man of the love to whom he is writing because he's going to begin to challenge young Timothy around some certain areas. Now, notice, if you would, please, verse 3. And I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went unto Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Paul was concerned about the false teachers that were creeping in. I want you to know something. One of my One of my divine callings in this place is to protect you from false doctrine. We do not have home Bible studies because you cannot control home Bible studies. And if you're not careful, Sister Slewfoot will begin slipping her foot on slick doctrine that you do not understand. And many have, have termed me as being brash and dictator and so forth and so on. Well, you'd have to admit I'm a benevolent one. Paul said, I want you to charge some. That they teach no other doctrine. You see, Paul was concerned about the purity of doctrine. And he wrote, young Timothy, about the purpose of doctrine. What is the purpose of doctrine? It's to keep us between the lines and keep us out of falsehood. You understand that? Once a some people ask me about carpentership or doing something with wood. And I just tell them, well, if you need to know something about the Bible, you come to me. I need to know something about carpenter, I'll come to you. You know what I'm talking about? Don't ask me how you make a blueberry pie. But don't try to make me think, lady, that you are a theologian. Amen. Well, my ex-pastor said, I don't care. He's ex. Out of the picture. Completely. And if you were so happy there, what are you doing here? I am responsible for what you believe, because what you believe determines what you do. Paul was writing to young Timothy. He said, I want you to please charge them that they teach no other doctrine. Now, my wife told those two Mormons, they knocked on a door. She was a lot kinder than I was. Andrew said, Dad, I remember one time they came to our door. And i just a little bitty thing, and you scared me to death. I thought you were going to whip those guys. I said I thought I was too till I saw how big they were. Then I just kind of calmed down. My wife said to them, "I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's precious Son. Goodbye." They said, "We are too." She said, "Goodbye." They are not. Their Jesus is not our Jesus. Their rock is not our rock. That's what Moses said in the book of Deuteronomy. Just because they say they love Jesus, uh, they do not know our Jesus. 2 John, you want to look at it in a minute? 2 John, that's the book right after 1 John, before 3 John. So it falls in between the Johns in the Bible. And most of you know it, but some of you do not. Why was my wife so brash? and why was she so <coughs> uh, to the point? And I read for you, Second John verse nine. Watch this now: Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. Hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. For he that, uh, he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. See why my wife just addressed them I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ God's son goodbye I wouldn't even have said goodbye don't bid them God speed if you even bid them Godspeed, you become partaker of their evil deeds God has no sympathy or compassion For false doctrine. Timothy, be careful with false teachers. Be careful with false preachers. Be careful with false doctrine. What that is, is polluted doctrine. Did you know, and I know you know, because I've told you so I know you know, That rat poison only contains 5% poisoning. Don't take much poison to kill a rat. 95% smells good, tastes good, and is not harmful. It's the 5% that kills. You know what would kill this church? For me to loosen up on doctrine, on belief. Listen, folks, and I want to be kind. I am a Baptist. I am not half a Baptist. I'm not a Baptist and a half. I am a Baptist. I'm a Baptist because of biblical convictions, not preferences. When I started this church, I was a Baptist. For 20 years before I started this church, I was a Baptist. I have been here 28 years and I am still a Baptist. Well, preacher, what would you be if you were not a Baptist? A shame. No smile. Jesus only started one church, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God overall. There's not 10,000 people right. Christians are protesting all kinds of pollution. We march and hang signs about air pollution. Come on now, say amen. Water pollution. Noise pollution. And food pollution. But nobody's carrying any signs about the worst pollution of all. And that's biblical pollution. And God knows when a preacher says something about it, folk just get up tight and say, Oh, I wonder who he's going to run off. Nobody that don't need to be. Pollution of the Word of God is the worst kind of pollution in the world. You water this down, you tear this up, you slice it, you dice it, you take out some words and add some words, remove some verses, and put in some verses, you're doing nothing at all except polluting the very perfect Word of God. And I think our folks need to know, that's why we have a newcomer's class, and that's why we have discipleship, and that's why we have Sunday school, because folks, if we're not right, let's change. If we are right, then bless God, we are not going to change. It's not a matter of being partially right. <clears throat> have you ever heard he say anybody say, I'm a little Episticopalian ifty? Have you ever heard anybody say, I'm a little bit uh, Methodistic? But you've heard folks say, I'm a little Baptistic. Why do they always refer back to that one? Just ask, and I thought I'd pitch it out there for you. And I'm convinced that everybody can't be right. I've never been slain in the Spirit. My wife has threatened me several times with her gun, but I don't think she's talking about spirit. Now, I've been been saved for 49 years. I'm not bragging now. I've never been baptized in the Holy Ghost. Neither has anybody else outside the book of Acts. Phil asked me one night while I was in seminary, and I was at a laundromat doing our clothes. You remember them days? Up all night long, doing your clothes, go to school because you didn't, couldn't afford a washer and a dryer. And he saw me studying my Bible, and he come over. and He said, say, young man, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I said, no, sir, have you? He said, yes, sir. I said, who was with you? He said, what do you mean? I said, no place in the New Testament has anybody ever baptized in the Holy Spirit by themselves. You're welcome. I thought to be baptized meant to plunge, immerse, or dip. If I'm going to be baptized in pickle juice, i got to have enough pickle juice to be plunged, dipped, or immersed. Come on, are you with me? And for me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit of God, I've got to be immersed in it or dipped, Well, that never happened. Yes, it did happen in the book of Acts. And the room where they were assembled was filled with the Holy Spirit. That meant everybody in that upper room at Pentecost was immersed, baptized in the Holy Spirit. You want to show me where that's happened since? It's important what we believe. And it's important that what we believe is consistent with the Word of God. Throw your commentary away and let the Word interpret the Word. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. You say, but my granny. Has your granny ever been wrong? You say, well, my daddy taught me that. Did your daddy ever fail to spank you when you knew you needed it? Did he ever spank you when you thought you didn't need it? Why is your daddy so right about this? <laughs> Let's go on now. I don't want to make anybody mad because I already have. But I'm just saying, and I do reiterate, everybody cannot be right. I'm sure that when we get to heaven, all of us will have to spend some time in the apology pen. Because none of us are absolutely, perfectly straight down the road without error. And I'm sure I am in error in some things, in my preferences, but I'd like to be straight in my doctrine, especially about the Lord Jesus, especially about the Trinity, especially about redemption. Come on now, can you say amen? Man, I'm saved by grace through faith. That, That... And I don't want anything else. Amen? I said amen. And so I might be wrong on some things, but I want to say I do care about what we believe in our church and what we preach. Now, I want to take these scriptures, and I want to begin at verse number 12. I want to show you something, and I want to talk to you tonight about Paul's personal testimony. Now, when Paul gave his testimony. And he did it plenty of times. He did it in Acts 9. He did it in Galatians 1 and 2. He did it in Philippians chapter number 3. He did it in 1 Timothy. And Paul was constantly saying when he had talked to somebody about Christ, let me tell you what happened to me on the road to Damascus. Have you ever heard that? In my personal witness, I think the most powerful thing that I can use to show anybody how to be saved is given my personal testimony. What happened to me the day I got saved. Now when Paul is given his personal testimony, I want you to be careful. Paul is given his personal testimony and he talks about things and, and listen to what he says. Uh, he says uh, some things that's really hard to... Uh, he says in verse number 12, I think Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Counting him faithful. Listen to what he was in verse 13. Who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul gives his testimony, tells about him incarcerating Christians, standing by and watching Stephen stoned to death, held the coat as they stoned this Christian to death. He was a persecutor. He was a venomous terrorist, if you please. He was absolutely the meanest of the mean and the worst of the worst. But you don't say that bragging on how bad he was He says that to brag on how good God is. When you're giving your testimony and you're talking about the pit of sin you wallowed in before you came to Christ, you talk about the filth and the things that you did before you come to Christ, don't brag about that. Brag about God's goodness to reach down in the miry clay and lifting you up out of a horrible pit, setting your feet on the solid rock and establish your going. I don't talk about my past much. I never wanted my kids to know too much about it. That's not something to brag about. I just wish there was a bus ministry that ran, ta- ran down Townsend Street in Wilmington, California. I just wish there had been a bus worker coming to the skid row and coming to the poverty part of town and knocked on my door probably saved a lot of heartache and a lot of scars but then in mercy God reached down and saved all of us Amen I was we were eating today, and you say, Preacher, you need to start teaching. Oh, just be quiet. You probably wouldn't understand what I'm going to say it We were eating at Dairy Queen. We go to the rich places, and we eat. And and little Caitlin was there in the chair, and a fellow was there, and I think he had a, a ponytail in a, in a, you know, braided, and he had a beard, and he just reminds you of a fella that parked his motorcycle out back i don't know he might not even own a motorcycle but he started playing with caitlin and caitlin would mimic him and, and i thought he's going to spend the rest of the day there and uh, just a kind and gracious guy but if you walked in you'd you probably wouldn't want to sit by him you probably think he had a gun a knife and ready to cut somebody's throat and uh, my wife made a comment and said you know, you wouldn't, I look at that guy, you wouldn't think he'd be so kind and warm and gracious. I said, he's about the age of those fellows who were so misunderstood and mistreated that went to Vietnam and fought for our freedom and come back and was treated like dirt. And I named my wife some of you guys who, who did that. You know, there's always a reason why folks are like they are. Paul, there was a reason Paul was like he was. He said in verse 12 and 13, look at this. He said, I was injurious, now I have obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Is ignorance a good excuse? In your Bible, if you're writing it, write right there, if you would please, just just jot down there someplace, maybe Numbers 15 and Leviticus chapter 5. And in the Old Testament, God made exceptions to someone who sinned Ignorantly, and someone who sinned knowingly and intentionally. And the only reason Paul said, when I did what I did, I did it in ignorance, is he was referring back to the law of Moses, which made exceptions to folks who did something, who thought they were doing right, but they were not doing right, they were doing wrong. And he made a difference between those who were doing wrong, knowing they were doing wrong, and intentionally did wrong. He said, there's no sacrifice for that cat. But those folks who do it in ignorance, there is a sacrifice. Even the cities of refuge were for those who sinned and did not realize they had sinned. He said, I did it ignorantly. But verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith, and love which is in Christ Jesus. Now notice, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of everybody who's ever lived on this earth, worthy for them to accept it. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Somebody tell me. And then he said, of whom I am. What? Paul is saying to young Timothy, there's nobody in Ephesus God can't save. <laughs> they just, ain't nobody ever spit in the woods that God can't save. He's the reason I know that, because Jesus Christ is worthy to be accepted. And he saved me, so if he saved me, I'm the chiefest, I'm the worst. <laughs> he can save anybody. Isn't that wonderful? Well, he goes on to say, how be it? For this cause, I obtain what? Mercy. You know, isn't it amazing how much mercy we've received and how little we're willing to give everybody else? <laughs> isn't it amazing just how saved we are and how ignorant everybody else is? Isn't it amazing how much mercy it takes to save us? That in me, Paul said, in me, first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering. Paul said, he saved me. I'm the chiefest of sinners. I'm a persecutor. I'm a terrorist. He saved me and was long-suffering to me to do something for you, to give you a pattern. That's what he said. Isn't that right? what Look at this. For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. You know why you're saved tonight? You're a pattern for somebody else. You're a pattern for somebody to look at. Andrew was cleaning a shotgun I bought last year. It's the only single shot semi-automatic shotgun I ever bought what that means is it shoots three but it jams every time it shoots one now I could have gone to Walmart and got a Mossberg it would never jam I've got a Mossberg it'll turn a battleship around with recoil but it never jams all the staff of our church that wants to borrow a shotgun guess which one I'll own yes the Mossberg, and I sit there and laugh as they shoot and tears run down their cheeks. It is mixed between a Missouri mule and a water buffalo. I'm telling you, when it kicks, everybody in the world knows it went off. So I bought a gun that don't kick. You know why it don't kick? It don't shoot. I could have bought 12 Mossbergs, what I gave for this one that don't shoot. Amen. Now I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, he's always playing with a gun. <laughs> Would you just hold your finger out right there a minute? Paul is giving his testimony. And then he writes to Titus, just over in Titus. We go to Titus chapter number three, and let's look at, at, a, at, a, at, at a verse there. And, and Paul again saying in Timothy that he was a persecutor that he was injurious and then over in Titus chapter number 3 writing to a young man also in Titus 3 and verse 3 for we ourselves also before we were saved sometimes foolish disobedient deceived serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in the malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Kind of identifies us all, doesn't it? I said, kind of identifies all of us. But now let me show you the difference. In Titus chapter number 3, it says we were. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners saved on his way to heaven experienced the mercy and grace of the, our Lord and he said not I was but he said I am you know what I, what I like about Paul is his honesty and humility That which I would, I do not. And that which I would not, that I do. Saved from the greatest Christian to ever ever grace the face of the earth. Oh, wretched man. Not that I was, but that I am. You know what, what would help our church a whole lot more? If we realize we ain't in heaven yet. If we realized we're not anything special. We're just sinners saved by grace. Amen now. Come on. And Paul said, we were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were serving divers' lust. But he said, although I'm saved, I'm still the chief of what? Have you looked in the mirror lately? Is there any more lines than there used to be? Is your hair turning loose? Do you get up in the morning and don't recognize who you're looking at? That just means you're a sinner. You're on your way to the graveyard. Saved. But thank God our souls are saved. Our bodies may be given away, but thank God our soul is saved. Thank God for his grace. And I think we could learn a lesson tonight if we had just start remembering who we were and what we have become, sinners saved by grace for a pattern for those who are not saved by grace, that they might see something different in we who are saved by grace. Our lifestyle does not save us. It saves others who watch us. And that's what Paul is saying. And I think so very much. And why did he do it? He did it out of ignorance. Hey, man, before I got saved, I thought I was pretty good. I used to compare myself with a lot of preachers I knew. I just got mine the same way they did, just as I wasn't as freaky about it. Paul said, I did it in ignorance. Let me ask you now, now don't you get mad at me. Do you think many of these uh, suicide bombers are doing that in ignorance? Have you prayed for any of them? That's tough, ain't it? That's tough, ain't it? Paul was the first terrorist that we read about in the Word of God. Everybody's scared to death of him. I tell you, the more you read the Word of God, the more you see how those folks are acting over there, nothing has changed. They still live in, in biblical times, <laughs> riding horses and cut people's heads off. They think nothing about shooting or killing. Do you think maybe some of them might be stooped in ignorance? You know what this is called? An altar. See, your sin and my sin put Christ on the cross. just like their sin putting him on the cross. I think we need some tuning up in our prayer life. I think if we tuned up our prayer life, it might have tuned up our attitude toward others. And we wouldn't be near. You ever notice when a Christian gets made, gets saved, everything's just black and white? Of course, before they got saved, everything was gray. And since we got saved, everything's black and white. If you're on white, we're, we're good with you. If you're on black, oh, you better not cross me. I'll run over you in my truck. Is that the Christian spirit? That, that, that's not what Christ knew. I like Paul because he realized where he come from, he realized why he did it, and then he realized why God saved him to be a pattern for others to see. Now, since I've been pastor here, the men in our church have seen me do things and reverted back temporarily to the things that I identified with a long time ago. I thank God for men who realize that we're saved by grace and we ain't perfect yet.
1: But I tell you, I
0: haven't snatched anybody across the fence in years. I think that's great. Don't you, Billy? Billy was reminding me the other day, the night I snatched that great big old teenager by the collar and grabbed him and pulled him across that fence, in Christian love, of course. Hey, none of us have arrived. Everything's not black and white. There's some things, there's some people we need to love regardless. Got a good friend. <laughs> I'll not tell you who he is. He won't be my friend long. But he, I had one friend that always said it's no biggie. You ever heard anybody say it's no biggie? I went hunting with him up in Montana. Him and Brother Sharp and a bunch of us idiots. And Jesse was doing about 80 miles an hour. In a blizzard. It was white out. Nobody supposed to be on the road. 80 miles an hour hit ice and just went around right in the middle of the road and just slid off the side of the road. And I was scared to death. Mrs. Sharp's husband run up to the window and said, Preacher, trade seats for me. Look like you're having more fun than I am. I could have killed both of them. Let's quit acting like everybody's having more fun than us and realize where we came from. What wonderful grace and love that God bestowed upon us and got us saved. And he saved us for a pattern that people may follow and say, hey, there's something different about that person. That does not help save us. It helps save others. I close with this verse. It's a beautiful verse. Look at verse 17. Paul says, now, young man, I've told you how I was saved why I was saved. And then he says, now, unto the king eternal. You like that? Under the king eternal, sovereign of the universe, the king immortal, the king invisible, the king who is the only wise God, the honor and glory forever and ever, amen is that great or what from a persecutor to a preacher unto him be glory and honor forever and ever amen all of God's people said Paul's testimony he used it regularly And so should we. You say, Preacher, I don't know how to show anybody how to be saved. Just tell them what happened to you. Because you was there when it happened. Sunday night, as we got rid of those sandwiches real quick, and I'm sorry if you didn't get any, who lingers, drinks tea. And as we started to leave, notice a crowd around the table and they said don't go over there brother Jay is witnessing and trying to win those folks to the Lord and I spoke with brother Jay before the service and he said that, that girl got saved that, that's the daughter of the man we've been praying for and she'll be baptized pattern you got that? A pattern for those who are yet to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ let's not be so judgmental let's not be so black and white as you know I have two sons other than Andrew Andrew got the best of out of both of them others I was in evangelism years and years ago and President of the college called me. He said, Gene, do you have just a minute? Could I speak with you? I said, yes, sir. What is it? He said, well, we caught Gene Jr. chewing tobacco. I said, well, kick him out. I'll come out there. I'll kick him out. If you'll just wait, I'll fly into town. I'll kick him out of school. Dr. Martin said, Gene, let's give him some room for growth. You hear that? Let's give other Christians room for growth. Don't try to put them in your little niche. One good thing about Paul, he realized he was still the chief of sinners.